session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. But if you do call in, I ask that all questions be directed towards my guest today, who is Dr. Jennifer Galvin, and she's here to talk about social media, screen time, and the effects it has on our psychology and relationships. Now you might remember Dr. Galvin joined me a few months ago to talk about helicopter parenting, but uh, very happy to have her back to talk about this important and new uh, concept or uh, issue that we can look at social media and how it's affecting us. There is research that's looking at it, but it is fairly new because it's a new phenomenon. So happy to have her and let me introduce you to her first. She is a licensed clinical psychologist with a private practice in Encino, California. She received her Bachelor of Arts degree from San Diego State University, where she majored in psychology. She later earned her Master of Arts in Clinical Psychology and a Doctor of Philosophy in Clinical Psychology, or PhD, from the California School of Professional Psychology, we were actually there at the same time and graduated the same year. She also obtained advanced clinical training in psychoanalytic psychotherapy at the New Center for Psychoanalysis, where she earned a certificate in psychoanalytic psychotherapy. And her office number, which I'll also post on my own social media, funny to say that when that's our topic today, but I'll post that later today, is 818-538-5236. Again, her her private practice is in Encino. Dr. Jennifer Galvin, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me back. Uh, really enjoyed being here last time, and I'm looking forward to having another great discussion on a very important topic. Yes, absolutely. And um, as I mentioned before, people can call in. The studio number is 310-441-0555. I'm sure people have lots of thoughts about social media and its impact. Um, and as I mentioned, it is a newer phenomenon, so we don't exactly know the impact yet but we are seeing some signs and even there already is some research that gives us some understanding of how it might be impacting us and maybe a disclaimer we can say although we're going to talk about maybe a lot of the negative impacts we're not just saying that social media and screens are purely a bad thing but like any type of new technology it can be used and have effects that are both good and bad and we're going to be looking at that today. Right. And I think that one of the very important pieces on this topic is um, just the extensive use of it, mm -hmm. um, which is what can cause the negative impacts. Um, but as you mentioned, there are a lot of positive impacts and positive things that can come out of using social media. Um, some of those positive examples um, include, you know, people feeling more involved, feeling better about themselves, um, having increased sympathy for others, mm -hmm. having more contact with what's going on in other people's lives, um, and increased self-confidence by feeling that they're included or involved in things. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as we mentioned, there's positive and negative impacts of using it. And um, there are a lot of 
good things that can come out of it as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. So maybe yeah. we can start talking about yeah, that. First. Yeah, we could do that, you know, because I think more than likely we're going to talk about a good amount of the negative impacts because there are a lot and we have to be aware of those. But as you mentioned, I mean, people can feel connected. I think for a lot of people, you know, people who are suffering from different, let's say, illnesses or disorders or have certain type of views that maybe aren't as popular, it can be nice that they can find like-minded people or find someone who's going through the same thing. So there are these groups that develop where people can feel connected and not feel so alone. I think that could be really, really important. I've seen that impact on a lot of people. Yeah, and I've also heard uh, a lot of positive things um, from people who are more introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, so an introvert would be someone who's a little bit more reserved, a little bit more quiet or on the shyer side. Um, introverts might have a little bit more difficulty expressing themselves to mm-hmm. others or being in social situations or big groups. And so there's a lot of positive things that co- can come out of social media for people people of that type of Mm -hmm. that type of nature the introverted type where they feel safe enough to be able to express themselves to a larger group of people versus if it was in real life they may have some difficulty around that right um another area that we can uh, talk about the positive impact of the internet also but just and social media plays a part in that is education and knowledge of course there is a, a lot of misinformation too and we can talk about that but People can learn about things that they really would not have access to or learn about people's lives or stories and different things. So we see that information is obviously much more accessible than it was just even a decade ago or a few decades ago. And that can have a a positive impact also. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's different forms of social media. So Mm -hmm. maybe we can talk a little bit about that. I think initially people think of Facebook and Instagram Mm -hmm. um, when they think of social media, but it, you know, it goes beyond that. And back in the day, it was MySpace, um, Twitter now, Snapchat. um, But it can also involve things like playing video games, like virtual, creating virtual life in these games on Sims, blogs, YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of different forms of social media nowadays. And so um, I think for some people, the real world is starting to feel unreal, mm-hmm. whereas the cyber world is starting to feel more real. Yeah. And so that's a very interesting thing to think of. Um, people are starting to be a little bit more disconnected from what's happening in real life and definitely a lot more in tune with the cyber world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's getting into some of definitely the problems and the challenges or difficulties that can come about with what's going on with social media and just the virtual world and all of that, which we're definitely going to talk about. And so like almost anything, um, when we're also talking about the good or the bad, we're, it's also about the extent that it's a part of our life. So some social media use is not that it's not like a poison that if you just touch it, it's bad for you mm-hmm. necessarily. But we are talking about the extent that you can get involved and engaged and it could take away from your real life. You know, this virtual life can take over people's real life and real relationships. And that's what we're talking about. So like with anything before with, you know, TV and that still exists, it wasn't that TV is bad, but if you're watching too much, that could be a bad thing. And with social media, and that's something we'll talk about, we're talking about is it in moderation or are you really going to a point of excess? And that's what we want to look at. Yeah. And I think people don't even really know what excessive use is because Mm -hmm. it's used so intermittently throughout the day. Um, You know, a minute here, 30 seconds there, five seconds here. Mm -hmm. And so 
it adds up over time. And if, if we actually paid attention to how often we're using our phones or iPads or, you know, whatever it is that we're accessing our social media through and added up the time we spent on it throughout the day, it may be a lot more than what we had thought it would be. Right. Yeah, I think people might, it's a good point. It's not that we always are using it continuously, but it does become a big part of our lives. And, you know, people, you can make comments like when they don't have their phone, they feel like they can't survive or mm -hmm. like there's something's missing, like they're mm -hmm. naked. You know, that's just like feels so odd because it's such a, a big part of people's lives. And, and also it's used as a crux in a way, like a crutch, I should say, like people lean on it. Um, something we can talk about. I guess we did a few minutes on the good stuff. We might already jump into the bad. But again, there is good uses to social media and uh, it can have a positive impact connecting people that haven't been able to connect for some time, old friends, family members, all of that stuff. But then what we do want to look at and maybe one place we can start is the quality of the connections that we are creating or that created are created on social media. Uh, or even through things like texting, because I've talked with friends about this before, too. And because if they think about it, they might say, you know, today I communicated with 20, 25 friends, but they were all in text or, you know, virtual form somehow or one way or another. And you think about it, none of those are really deeply connecting connections mm -hmm. or relationships yeah, and interactions. That's a very interesting point that you bring up, because um, a lot of especially adolescents, I think nowadays mm -hmm. they they literally will say to their friends, text, don't call, or text, mm -hmm. don't talk. And, um, you know, people will leave that on their voicemails or whatever it is. People don't answer their phone, but then they text you back right away. And so I think you're absolutely right in that there is some thing going on. There's some level of disconnection mm -hmm. with the person-to-person. Um, and people do feel a lot more comfortable expressing themselves via text message. And also along with that, I think that people feel more comfortable saying things in a text message or writing things down mm -hmm. than they would if they had to say those exact words to that person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's to me is a big thing that we're losing is the ability to have face-to-face -face conversations to even face, you, know, you talked about comfort. Absolutely. People are much more comfortable in text, but actually that's not a good thing. Comforts are usually bad. You know, we want to actually go against that and recognize there is something to having a face-to-face -face discussion that's uncomfortable, maybe a fight or something, and experiencing that. And I think especially, like you said, the younger generation, it's become so much more common that they essentially think that texting is the only way to communicate or their main way of communicating. And that's that's a problem. And even we're seeing the with all generations, but especially the younger one. And a huge piece of the face-to-face -face communication is the nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. um, cues that go on and you know i i personally wonder where that's getting lost and how that will look in the future i mean mm -hmm. if you're not able to pick up on these nonverbal cues in conversations or discussions with other people um you know how will that dis disable you in your life mm -hmm. um the closest thing to that in a social media form would be emojis Right. trying to express a facial reaction, right? But as we all know, there's a lot that's lost in translation in that too. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe even used inappropriately, sometimes people will put a face that the other person will interpret differently or it doesn't really fit what they're feeling. And so um, definitely that's a very important piece that's being lost here. The nonverbal cues, the face-to-face -face communication, mm -hmm. 
um, the encounters with that person. Yeah, I, I talked about um, a study in the book Mindwise, or that I saw in the book Mindwise, where it was saying they had people write emails and sometimes they would make sarcastic remarks marks, and half would be serious. And they thought to the person reading it would be very obvious when they were being sarcastic and when they were being serious. And they found that the, the listener actually, or the reader, was not that good at doing it. And unfortunately, the reader also was confident in their ability to determine whether someone is being sarcastic or serious. So we see how much room there is for miscommunication when we're very confident that our tone and what we really mean is being expressed. And the listener thinks they're picking up on it really well, but mm -hmm. they're actually inaccurate. And I'm sure you've experienced this yourself and also with clients. I've heard of so many fights that start because of a mis communication right. on text you said this like no no i said i want you to come but no you said it in a way that you meant you didn't want me to come mm -hmm. and there's all these things happening and it's leading to all this miscommunication rather than communication yeah absolutely and and it's also interesting because i think now with the whole texting phenomenon people are starting to think that there's something wrong mm -hmm. if you call someone on the phone <laughs> that's something that i've heard yeah, a lot from yeah. clients too mm -hmm. you know Every time I call so-and-so, they say, what's wrong? Is mm -hmm. everything okay? As in, it, you know, it's only for emergency situations where you pick up the phone and call right. someone. Uh -huh. Because everything is communicated in text message. And like you said, typically it's not always expressed properly or, you know, the, per mm -hmm. the other person on the receiving end doesn't read it the right way or whatever it is. And there's a lot of room for conflict that can come up as a result of that absolutely and i think you know uh, we're, we're getting to a commercial break but one thing i also wanted to talk about is i see a lot of people that they're dating and they're getting to know each other primarily through texting like they text throughout the day and they don't talk much or see each other much and they think they're getting to know each other well but really you see they're not and there's mm -hmm. a lot missing so maybe we can talk about that too especially with uh, social media you know, you hear about these Facebook relationships and Instagram relationships and whatever else is out there. And people are trying to get to know each other, but not realizing how little they're doing or that the way they're doing it is really the wrong way to mm -hmm. get to know someone. So maybe we can talk a bit about that, too, after the break. If you'd like to join in, in the discussion, you can call in 310-441-0555. My guest today is clinical psychologist Dr. Jennifer Galvin, and we are talking about social media and screen time and the effects it's having on our relationships and psychology. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Back again, my guest today, Dr. Jennifer Galvin. We're talking about social media and screen time. And before the break, we were talking a bit about texting and getting to know each other through messaging and texting, something that's becoming very common in the dating world, and how much this actually interferes with really getting to know someone. And something I've seen, and I'm not sure if you've seen this with clients or just even talking to individuals, people will meet someone and they go on a date or two and they start texting the whole day from like morning till night. And in a way they feel like, oh, I've been with you the whole day. They feel so connected, but it's this very superficial type of connection. 
And unfortunately, it breeds this feeling of like attachment and that we are so close and we know each other. And then they see each other in person and it feels almost bizarre or strange because they realize they don't know each other well at all. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that or seen that yourself, but this is something I've observed in, in a lot of people that are in the dating world, it's becoming very common. Yeah, I think what happens is that people get uncomfortable once they're in person and face-to-face. And I think the expressions that come off as a result of their discomfort is probably what is noticed and picked up. So in the text message, you know, there's very little of that. Like, as we discussed, people communicate back and forth. It seems like everything's fine. It seems that things are progressing well. But then when they see each other face-to-face and there's a face-to-face contact, the person might have a weird look on their face Mm -hmm. or seem more distant or whatever it is. um, Because you know, as we mentioned, it's different to be face to face in person and have these types of encounters. And so there is definitely conflict that comes with that. People think they're really close and then they see each other, each other in person and everything's completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think if you're getting to know someone, um, of course, texting, we're not making it black or white again. It makes sense to text with each other, but make sure it's not your primary source of communication and even limit the texting and then make sure you find time to talk. And even actually, I think, again, technology can be a very good thing. At least you can do FaceTime, even right, if you can't see each other in too. person. So you can do so. It's not the same as literally being face to face, but at least you get to see the face, pick up on emotions, have that m- more face to face interaction. And make sure you're not just relying on the text because you you might think you're getting to know each other. You might feel like you're getting close, but it's very artificial and superficial way of getting to know someone. Yeah. And I think also in relationships, the effects on social, the effects of social media can be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, looking at what the person has posted, what their pictures are like, selfies. um, And then we think that we know the person based on the things that they've posted or the comments that they've written. And again, that's not a full representation of that person. And so, you know, you see a lot of people judging each other based on their social media Mm -hmm. representations, you know, the things they've posted, the things they write. Um, You know, people will obsess over posts or they'll try to understand someone that they may be in a relationship with or want to be in a relationship with based on what is posted. Mm -hmm. And that can cause conflict as well because it's very one-sided and difficult to understand a full person based on one representation on social media. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, that's the thing with all these new ways we have to get to know each other and people even Google each other and they do all these types of things. There's nothing that replaces face to face spending time with one another, those types of interactions, nothing can replace that. And even uh, when we look at dating apps, you know, they, a lot of them will claim we have the formula to find your match and, you know, you can get to know each other and all this stuff, but really there's nothing that replaces spending time with the person, see how you interact with each other, seeing how you get along, the connection, what's there, what's not there, and what are the issues, nothing else can replace that. So we have to just recognize those other things. Yes, it can be a very small piece of the picture, but we should look at them as very minor compared to how we feel when we interact with the person face-to-face. I think the piece that gets taken out when communication and attachment or relationship is 
primarily based on social media is the intuitive piece, mm-hmm. um, the feeling inside of us. And so it's very difficult to gauge that when there is a separation, a degree of separation, like a screen between what we know about the other person and ourselves. And so when there is a face-to-face encounter, primarily to me, the part that's important is the intuitive piece that comes with that. What are you feeling when you're with that person? What are you picking up when you're with that person energetically? Mm -hmm. What's going on between the two of you without a barrier in between, without something in between the two of you? And although, as we mentioned, you know, you can you can get to know people via text message, you can get to know maybe a little bit about them with what they post. But the piece that gets missed and taken out is that piece, the Mm -hmm. really getting a feeling for what's going on between the two of you. Absolutely. And so, you know, we're talking about getting to know each other through means of text and other types of ways and how that doesn't work. But then what you brought up, it, maybe we can transition into that, is how screens are affecting relationships because people might be, you know, we're talking about, okay, make sure you spend time together, but then people get into relationships, they're with each other, sitting next to each other, but both of them are on their phones. Mm-hmm. And although you might think, well, I spent the last three hours with you, but if you're both, you know, face into the phones, that's not really any time. And I think there's such a lack of people looking each other in the eyes and having conversations, even between people that are romantic relationships, husbands and wives, they don't do a lot of that because we're living in this world where the focus is somewhere else. So if you're getting to know someone, yes, texting itself, not good enough, but even face to face, make sure it's actually face to face, spend some time Mm -hmm. where you're showing the person, because we know that love, one of the biggest ways we show love is through our time and attention and attention is a big part. Mm -hmm. If you look at someone and say, I want to hear your story, hear about your day, hear about what you're going through, that makes a big difference. And I see people, they say, oh, tell me what happened at work. And then they look down and they're scrolling through something mm-hmm. on their phone. And then every so often, like, wait, what, what did you say? Because they weren't totally paying attention. Something sounded interesting. And that's not helpful at all to what's happening, you know, to making a relationship go smoothly and getting mm-hmm. to know each other. Right. So what you see is that most people are not fully present. Mm-hmm. There's not a full connection to the person in front of you. There's very little space to reflect. Um there's very little intimate human connection and attachment. And there's the, you know, this new idea of continuous partial attention, meaning we're constantly giving partial attention to the things in our life. And not only does that have an effect on our actual ability to pay attention and focus, um, you know, you see a lot of difficulty with students concentrating on schoolwork or studying Um, you know, you see, uh, people who have the TV on and their Mm -hmm. cell phone in their hand, or they're on their laptop and they're, you know, looking at Instagram or whatever it is. And so there's this constant partial attention that's given to everything, yet nothing is given our full attention. We're not being present to what's going on in front of us. Mm -hmm. And you can really see the effects of this, um, you know, on kids with their schoolwork. You can see the effects of this on children whose parents are, um, you know, on their phone. They might be sitting and playing with their kid, but the phone is in their hand and they're, you know, looking at Instagram or whatever it is. And so nothing is being given our full attention anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big, big problem overall in this idea 
um, that you need to multitask to be productive. And if mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think if they're not multitasking, they're wasting time and they're so proud of how they multitask. But multitasking is a very dangerous thing, uh, in my opinion. And it actually means usually whatever you're doing, you have to go back and redo it better or you're doing it not as good as you need to do. And especially when we're talking about relationships, there's no such thing as multitasking. If you are playing with your kid, you have to engage 100% with your child. If you're holding your phone and looking at your newsfeed while your kid is playing with blocks, you're not playing with your kid. Mm -hmm. And so this idea, you said the continued partial attention, I think is something that people are just taking in every aspect of their life from the moment they wake up to the moment they sleep. For many people, and you know, we all probably do this to some degree, they're not present with anything that they're doing you know they they talk to someone and they're doing something else you walk into someone's office they're looking at their computer screen and talking to you Mm because they're doing that too and we're really losing that and a lot of it isn't just i think it's a few things one is though okay we want to feel like we're productive but i also think again people are afraid of that intimacy of that face-to-face communication and they feel a lot safer partially doing something else but not fully engaging with with the other person yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it it can create some protective mechanism um, between one person and another. So, you know, people are so busy nowadays that there's this fear of not being able to get everything done. Mm-hmm. And so everybody is working double time to multitask and get as much done as possible. But, you know, my challenge to, you know, the listeners or other people would be, I wonder if you can get just as much done, but just do one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as you mentioned, this idea of multitasking is kind of an illusion. We think that we're getting so much more done, yet in actuality, we're doing probably the same amount, just with less presence and less attention. And so just actually trying to give your full attention to something in that moment, it can be intimidating Mm -hmm. because, you know, the person will actually fully see you and you're fully open and able and connected. And that can be scary for some people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, so as you said to people listening, and it's for all of us, you know, if you're in a relationship or when you think of the people around you, make make an active effort together. So don't just tell your partner you're on your phone too much. That's something that I, I hear a lot of people doing, saying maybe we're both on our phones together too much. I want us to have more face-to-face and intimate communication and connection. And let's think about how we can make sure we do that. Let's devote time to that. We're working together, not we're trying to be the referee for each other and catch each other on our phones, but together we want to make sure we're spending more time together. And then also listen to what you're feeling when you do that. You might realize, like, oh, I get a little anxious now when I'm just talking to my partner without having my mm-hmm. phone in my hand. It's like uh, a security blanket. Exactly. And you, or other feelings that might be coming up. In the long run, it should lead to more connection and deeper connection. But I think, you know, we want to pay attention to those feelings that are coming up. It is a security blanket. It's a distraction. It's uh, something that we kind of can just lean on. Right. And as you mentioned, in the long run, that's the hope that you're more connected and intimate with, with the person that you're trying to be that way with, whether it's your child or your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because the transition towards that may bring challenges in and of itself. Just, you know, leaving, getting off of social media for a month or leaving your phone at the door when you walk in and not having your phone with you or whatever it may be. Like you mentioned, it may bring up feelings of anxiety. You may feel, you know, there's a huge huge um, idea now around this, the fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have a fear that they're missing out if they're not constantly checking their phone. What's going on that I don't know about? What are my friends doing that I don't know about? Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, there's this constant need to check um, the phone in order to know that they're inc- included and involved and in network with these people. Right. Otherwise, they fear that they're missing out on something. Yeah, and actually, you you, know, you brought up um, this like feeling of needing to check their phone. Uh, in the phone apps or these companies, they're obviously multi-billion-dollar companies, and they've spent a lot of money investing on how to sustain our attention. Because not only do they need us to download the app, they need us to stay on it as long as possible, to keep checking it as much as possible for them to become as profitable as possible. And they try to make them essentially like drugs for our brain. You know, mm-hmm. even they do things like intermittent reinforcement. So apps like Instagram, they'll withhold giving you notifications on likes because they try to find a pattern that's going to stimulate you more. So maybe people have even experienced this. I have myself, you know, you won't get a notification. Then all of a sudden you'll get a notification saying six people liked your photo. Yeah. And then when you go, you can see those those likes might have been even at different times. But they gave it to you all at once because they're trying to do this intermittent type of reinforcement. Uh, the same thing that Las Vegas uses with slot machines to really get you hooked. So you feel like, <laughs> I got to check. I can't wait to check. And it gives you these bursts. Um, and even I... I saw a study today because you were coming in and was saying how likes can actually they did a study on teens it rewarded parts of their or stimulated parts of their reward system in the brain um, which i think intuitively i thought that was very true but it's nice to see it with science showing that they're measuring the brain and seeing these teens were having these reactions which in a way is similar to a drug type of reaction so these likes i used to always say drugs are like uh, likes are like the drug of the digital age and now the the research is confirming that that's really what's going on so we're seeing that our phones are becoming this thing that can really take over us and we have to kind of ask like are we in control of the phone or is the phone controlling us? Well, and that's why, as you mentioned, I think it's important to know that if you're trying to detach from it to Mm -hmm. any degree to be able to relate to someone, there will be feelings that come up for you. Absolutely. Um, Whether it's anxiety or frustration or anger, you know, there could be a whole uh, realm of feelings that come up. But because it's so much like an addiction Mm -hmm. and it stimulates our brain in such similar ways that we're absolutely experiencing a lot of these feelings that are similar to someone that would be addicted to a drug. Yeah. And also what's happening with social media and screens in general is our attention spans are becoming less and also our tolerance for being bored or not stimulated, you know, so we're just used to constantly this, this, how, okay, how long is the video? It's 15 seconds. I'll watch it. If it's this, I'll see it. And we, we can't tolerate that boredom. Then when you are face to face with someone in a relationship, when you're going to have dull moments, you're going to have low moments, we think something's wrong. We can panic when that's just part of living life is having some level of boredom, having some level of just calm. doesn't have to always be exciting and moving and sound bites mm-hmm. and excitement, but people are losing that understanding of what a relationship should be like and what even life is like. You're not constantly stimulated in a positive way. Yeah. Sometimes it's not like that. Right. Yeah. And you, you know, we could talk more about this and we'll get into even more about social media and things like comparisons and how it actually can make us feel worse about ourselves in different ways um, as we continue on this topic of social media and screen time with my guest today, clinical psychologist, Dr. Jennifer Galvin. If you'd like to join in the discussion, 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. My guest today, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, we are talking about social media and screen time and the effects it's having on our psychology and relationships. And before the break, we were talking a bit about attention. And I talked with you during the commercial break how I recognized, even in myself, I think if I compare myself to 10, 15 years ago, a decrease in my attentional abilities, which I think is related to phones and social media and, and the effects that had. So I can even notice that in myself that I think I was much more tolerant to, for example, being bored or watching something that was lengthy, but now I'm just used to more of a constant stimulation and that's having a negative effect on myself. And I'm, I'm talking about it here on the air because I think it's something pretty universal that many people are experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because when you think of back in the day when you had to research something mm -hmm. and you would have to go to the library <laughs> and ask someone and go through, go through the aisles and try to find the book and then find whatever it was you were looking for in the book and then write about it. And now it's everything is just so easily accessible. Mm -hmm. You literally just pick up your phone, type what you want in Google, and there it is. There's the answer. And although that's wonderful in a lot of ways and it's helped advance us in a lot of ways, the challenge and the difficulty with that is that because we're accessing information so instantly and everything is so instant, we're having difficulty being more tolerant, more patient, um, waiting for things. And instead, we are frustrated when there's a delay. Mm -hmm. So if something, even if our Google isn't loading fast enough, we're frustrated, we're irritated, we keep refreshing, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're angry at our phone, we throw the phone or whatever it yeah. is because we're so used to everything being instant and fast and what technology is doing is that it's creating an environment where we're always in a hurry mm -hmm. and we need a quick response or we need to respond quickly so the other person doesn't get offended and um you know it's it, it's stressful especially for teenagers i think there's this level of pressure to have to respond quickly or if the other person doesn't respond quickly you know this anxiety builds up and mm -hmm. people get very uncomfortable and all of this is a as a result of things being so instant and fast right yeah and you mentioned how frustrated people can become and uh, we might talk a bit about looking at internet and social media as an addiction, which we can talk about. But it reminded me of uh, Louis C.K. I remember him a few years ago. He's talking about how he was on a plane, and it was when they first started having Wi-Fi on a plane. And it was the first time he had ever seen it. And they said, we have this new service. There's going to be Wi-Fi on the plane. And then they got took off, and they had it for a few minutes, and then it went down. And then he said, as soon as they announced it went down, people were so angry. And he said, you just learned about this thing three minutes ago and you're already disappointed in, that it doesn't exist, you know, or you don't have it right now. But yeah, people are just, we feel like we need it. And I think when you look at people and you look at kids and when we're talking about addiction and, you know, if you want to actually call it an addiction or not, maybe that's worth debate. But you see how much there's this feeling of like, I need that stimulation. I need that. And I can't tell you how many parents that I see both personally but also in my practice where the phone is like this the biggest thing in the world is the phone and they know that if they want to punish their kid the biggest thing they can do is say we're going to take your phone and the kid will almost just do anything yeah. they want because kids are just becoming and again we would probably feel the same way but it's becoming such a part of their life that they feel like they can't exist without it. And that's what makes me think when we talk about addiction, it is a good analogy because there's this feeling like we can't live without it, that we're intolerant 
of not having it and people get cranky, they get irritable, they get upset. If they don't have it, similar things you might see to withdrawals from some type of chemical substance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that, you know, there's a really great article by Sherry Turkle. Um, I believe it's in her book called Alone Together. And on chapter nine, there's a chapter on growing up tethered. And I really like this article because You know, it talks about how parents are also using social media, telephones, screens, whatever it may be to um, keep this connection with their children. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see parents give their kids a phone as a way of keeping their children tethered and staying connected to them. So like you can have a phone if you want to go to your friend's house, but you need to answer your phone every time I call you. You need to respond to my text right when I text you. Mm -hmm. Um, And The problem with this is now that what's happening is that adolescents have this need to separate. It's a time in their life where it's important to separate from parents. It's important to individuate to a degree, to become independent. And they're not really getting that opportunity because of this cell phone bribe relationship that's going on with the parents and the children. Um, if they need something, they pick up their phone and they call their parents right away. If the parents need something, they pick up the phone and call their kids right away. If they're in a problem, they figure it out with their cell phone. And so kids are not really learning. Um, you know, adolescents are not really learning how to deal with situations that come up on their own and they're not individuating and they're not separating from their parents, which causes a conflict in adulthood Mm -hmm. because they're not really learning those things or experiencing those developmental things yeah. that are important. Yeah, I think you know we're we're gonna still we're gonna see the effects that all this is happening having. We're kind of in this uh, social experiment, large scale social experiment, where we don't know all the impacts that it's gonna have on us. But um, you know, there's the attentional aspect, and also this yeah, the separation. You're never really alone. I think that's something that yes. people also experience that being alone is actually something a valuable thing to be able yeah. to enjoy. And to take almost pride in it and, and really get to know yourself. But people never feel fully separated because they know they're tied, as you said, tethered to this phone that pretty much they feel like anyone can access them at any time, which obviously is good in some ways, you know, for safety and other reasons. But overall, we also need to be able to disconnect sometimes, you know, both literally and figuratively. I mean, you know, just from people and, and be by ourselves. And I think that's something that we're really losing now. If we even think of our childhood, which is just not that long ago, there were just times where we had nothing to do or nothing was going on. But now kids almost constantly have some type of stimulation and are connected to people in a in an almost unhealthy way all the time. Yeah, and I think, you know, along with that, when you're not alone, you can't fully experience your feelings on your own. Mm-hmm. You can't really tolerate your feelings on your own. You can't figure them out on your own. And so what's happening is that you see this emotional style happening in which feelings are not fully experienced until they're communicated. Mm-hmm. And so the person doesn't even really know what they're feeling until they communicate it with a friend or express it on social media. And then a bunch of people comment or react. And then the person's like, oh, then I must feel good or I must be sad or whatever it may be. There's not really any space for the person to reflect upon themselves to see, oh, I wonder what I'm feeling. I wonder why I'm feeling this way. I wonder how I can help myself Mm -hmm. not feel this way or get out of this situation. And so that's kind of a downfall to it because although there's support, and as you mentioned, there's positive things that come out of those relationships, 
Kids are not really learning how to deal with their feelings mm-hmm. on their own or don't even know what they're feeling to begin with. Yep. And I think that's the big part for me because, you know, you're saying because of this, people aren't able to be with their feelings alone and what that's happening. And the problem is that now people, they actually don't want to be with their feelings alone. And so they use their phone. And I was reading some studies looking at how quickly people, as soon as they sit down somewhere, take out their phone. Like they can't even just tolerate a few seconds of being alone. And it's because we don't want to feel what we're feeling. Most people don't want to know what they're feeling because it's kind of scary. And that's why I think even when you talk about meditation, and I've talked about it in my seminars, and people often say, oh, it's so boring. But really what they mean by boring is they can't tolerate it. They can't mm-hmm. tolerate, let me just sit here and feel what I'm feeling. What What's there? What Am I sad? Am I angry? Am I anxious? And they would rather just be distracted. It's a much, again, going back to comfort, it's much more comfortable to be distracted than to be connected to ourselves. And there's a lot of consequences because as you were saying, we don't really even know what we're feeling or what's going on. We're kind of in a, a state of autopilot all the time. Yeah. And, you know, although kids are being raised in this generation um, and they don't really know the difference, like our generation knows what it's like before and then we know what it's like now, It's there's things that can be done to help kids practice these things so even though everything's fast even though there's so much technology even though everyone has cell phones and ipads and all of these sorts of things you can help your kids at any age whether they're two three or 13 14 to practice being with themselves so they can still have a cell phone Mm -hmm. they can still have an ipad they can still be part of social media but let's just say you know there's an exercise where for half hour a day or for an hour a day they have to put it aside Mm-hmm. and do something else go outside and play come up with a creative art project just do nothing be bored figure something out that way they can get a little bit of a balance and mm-hmm. have at least a little bit of time throughout their day where they can see what it's like to disconnect from mm-hmm. technology to disconnect from social media and to be with themselves yeah and at least see what comes up what mm-hmm. feelings are coming up for you? Are you bored? Are you frustrated? Are you annoyed? Are you counting down minutes till you get your phone back? You know, what what is going on and how can we deal with that? Right. And also, like you were saying, feeling those feelings and then learning how to cope with those feelings, how to deal with those feelings. Because I think when we're constantly having the stimulation and the distraction, you never feel those feelings. And then if you get in a situation where you have them, you have no idea what to do because it's kind of what is this? What do I do with this? And children will be amazed as to what they come up with when they're quote unquote bored. Mm -hmm. And so will parents. I mean, I think a lot of times these tools are used for parents as well because they get a break. You know, their kids leave them alone. They go sit in the corner. They don't bother them at lunchtime or whatever it is. And so, you know, you get to really see what the purpose of these screens are and what they serve and and the creativity that comes up for the kids i mean if they might complain and be bored at first but then they might get up and do something they might build something they might go outside and play with the dog they might do things that they wouldn't normally do and so it's just like meditation in the beginning it's extra challenging you keep getting distracted and you have to keep bringing yourself back but eventually it gets easier and you're able to focus and Mm -hmm. find a direction so it's really really an important piece i think especially in this generation yeah i I remember reading an article saying how kids aren't bored anymore and that's actually a bad thing yes some boredom is good i remember 
Uh, I was talking about with my brother and cousins recently. Like we, you know, we would sometimes have nothing to do, and we'd come up with games. Like we'd mm-hmm. tie a string from one end of the wall to the other, and blow up a balloon and play volleyball over this like string. And it was pretty cool. And we had the, such a great time. But it was because we had nothing else like there. We had to come up with something. And I think that's actually a very good thing. Or even when we're bored, you know, you think about new things, you explore new ideas. But when we're constantly in this stimulation and things are just presented to us, we don't have that time to just reflect and explore. And even it can interfere with creativity and what exactly. we can come up with on our own. So our creativity is being diminished. Mm-hmm. And people can't think on their own. They can't come up with ideas on their own. They're not being creative. They're not using their imagination as much as they can. And this can affect us in other areas of our life Mm -hmm. and so you know that's definitely a downfall to yeah to this it kind of makes me laugh i mean it reminds me of when i'm not sure if your parents but you'd hear our parents would say things like when we were kids we just had a rock and a stick (laughs) and then we had to play for 10 hours and we'd make up when you know it's kind of maybe it's slightly an exaggeration but there's some truth to it but it's also a good thing they would have to like you said use their imagination use creativity mm-hmm. and let their mind explore well, a little bit more and that's something that we're we're missing in this like constant age of uh, you know stimulation and distraction yeah and you know as i mentioned in the growing up tethered article you know also back in the day yeah at a certain age kids would go outside and play on their own mm-hmm they would learn to separate and be individuals and deal with things on their own. And now we don't, we don't see that because mm-hmm. there's a constant line of connection to parents. And so when there's a cell phone, the person's not really on their own in the streets playing soccer like mm-hmm. it was back in the day for our parents, right. right? It's They're somewhere, parents are easily able to access them and vice versa, and that's not yeah. helpful. And actually making a connection to, to the topic we had last time you, you were on, I think this also relates to the helicopter parenting, that parents think Absolutely. they have to constantly monitor every second of everything their kid is doing and not giving some freedom to be like, okay, play with the kids in the neighborhood or something like that, which was so common in our generation and previous ones, but you don't see it much anymore because the parents have so much control over everything that's going on. You know, we didn't get to talk too much about the specifics of social media, and there's a lot there. So maybe after the break, we'll get a little bit more into that and how social media affects us, affects our relationships, and what we want to watch out for. My guest today, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, we're talking about social media and screen time. If you want to join the discussion, 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. back again my guest dr jennifer galvin uh, we got a call from the office i guess saying someone wanted her office number so i'll say that this is for dr jennifer galvin 818-538-5236 um, i should also mention her middle name is farnoosh or is it you know your first name is farnoosh my middle name. yeah and so she is iranian and so because uh, some cli- people have asked about that as well so if you're interested her office is in encino you can call her at that number now we wanted to get a little bit more into social media itself again a new phenomenon so psychology and psychological studies are still trying to catch up to see what's going on Uh, i know i've seen lots of studies showing how when people are depressed 
and they go on social media, they become even more depressed because here you are feeling down about your life, down about yourself. And then you go on social media and everyone looks like they're having such a good time and looking so good and having relationships and all those good things. And it makes you feel even worse about yourself. So we know that when we go on social media and we compare ourselves to others, it actually is hurtful. And I saw another study that said, even if you're not depressed, when you go on social media and you're comparing yourself to other people, you start to get some symptoms of depression. So that comparison aspect of social media can be a very negative thing. Again, I think the time limit also is an imp important factor. Um, actually, Time Magazine did a study where they said if you use social media or you're on on um, online or use you know some sort of screen for more than two hours a day, it equals some form of psychological distress. Mm -hmm. And so you know people end up having feelings of inadequacy, low self-esteem, feeling depressed, feeling envious because other people are engaging in activities and they may not be engaging in those activities, mm -hmm. difficulty concentrating, um, you know, increased or in unusual social anxiety when interacting with people in general. I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of yeah. it, but, um, you know, more than two hours a day definitely is a high indicator that there could be some psychological distress. Mm -hmm. That make that makes sense. Again, we were talking about um, the limits of it and how much you're doing. It makes a difference, not just doing it as good or bad, but, you know, you know, the comparison piece, I think it makes sense that it's going to make you feel worse. You know, in our, what we're used to is we're in small groups, 150 people. And, you know, most people are probably going to be similar to you. But now you go on Instagram and you start following a fitness model who their body is probably the top 1% of 1% of people and how they look. So if you compare yourself to him or her, of course, you're going to feel inadequate or the richest people in the world and showing their, you know, extravagant lifestyles and the cars and the houses that they have. Of course, you're going to feel inadequate to that. And of course, on top of that, everything is very, you know, there's filters and yeah, it's things digitally did, manipulated. It, it, yeah. So you're seeing things that aren't even realistic at times too. So of course, when you compare yourself to that and your partner, which I'll talk about later, um, you're, of course, you're going to be disappointed to feel not good enough. And mm -hmm. so people are going on, they're going through their newsfeed and it's all these artificial and exaggerated types of things. And then if they compare their own life and their own self to that, they're going to feel more and more inadequate and not good enough. Right. So it's going to make them feel worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I mean, there becomes a part where the person's negatively comparing themselves to others um, because of what the person posts on social media. So mm -hmm. the person's social, other person's social media content will then be the comparison that goes on between you and that person. So obviously people post things that are, um, you know, very... What's flattering, I guess, flattering, or looking, the, you know, yeah. the best part of their lives right. there. It's not an adequate representation of what's really going on in their life. And what happens is people end up having unrealistic expectations for their own life Absolutely, yeah. and their own partner and the, and themselves. Mm -hmm. And that creates a lot, a lot of conflict and distress. Um, you know, one of the things I really liked in the Time Magazine article was that their recommendations as to how to prevent some of these things. And one of the things they recommended was for sites or apps to do these pop-up warnings where it says heavy usage. So once it, for example, reaches over two hours in one day, 
they would send up some pop-up message that says heavy usage. So the person can become a little mm -hmm. bit more conscious of how long they've actually spent on that site that day. Yeah. Um, and another thing was... Well, let me say something about that. You know, I saw on the 60 Minutes, there was a really interesting 60 Minutes piece on social media. And I think this guy was talking about how he developed something like that, but none of the... All the apps were basically trying to knock it down and not let him do that. Or it was an app that would tell you how much you're on your phone and those kinds of things. And they were really strongly resisting that because these apps make, make money. money on based on how much you're on the app. So right. they don't want that from the profit motive, even though it might be turning us into zombies and really hurting us, <laughs> but they don't want that. So you're right. It would be a good thing. But unfortunately with the profit motive that these companies have, and they're worth hundreds of billions of dollars sometimes, they really don't want those things to happen. But you're right. It would be good for us to have something external to us because we know that when we get hooked on something, it almost becomes out of our control. We sometimes need an external uh, push to get us to stop. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if that could happen. But uh, as you mentioned, there's just too many other factors involved. Mm -hmm. um, and apps and sites just don't want to participate in that. Um, the other suggestion they made was highlighting when photos are digitally manipulated, mm -hmm. which is another thing nobody you know, would want to do, especially celebrities or f people who use their bodies as a way of making money, they right. would they wouldn't want people to know if something was photoshopped or you know the color was changed or whatever it was. But you know these are things to keep in mind and educate and pass down to our kids and adolescents so that they can have you know a better understanding of what's actually going on. Yeah, you know you mentioned about it, so I think it's something important to keep in mind. You said before about people presenting just the best side of themselves that when you go on social media you see someone you were talking about and even getting to know someone that take everything with a grain of salt you know that yeah it's they're they're showing you pictures and you get to know a little bit about them but that's not really who they are because even i think something is funny when people you know you say oh you know so and so and so and so broke up and they're oh, but they looked so happy and you know and they think about their pictures on social media and i always say yeah no one posts a picture in the middle of a fight you know they put pictures of themselves <laughs> smiling in front of the eiffel tower and kissing each other and looking their best and smiling at each other so you never know someone based on those you know these types of things and it's just a reminder that you never really know what someone's life is like and don't think you know it or judge it based on social media and what you're seeing on that that's of course a very colored view of what's really going on and ironically enough there was a really funny post on social media that i saw last night and it said this is for couples who flaunt their love on facebook then suddenly go quiet after they break up you need to tell us exactly what happened we have invested a lot of time <laughs> likes and comments on your pictures and posts we need closure too but that's a perfect example of <laughs> yeah, what you're saying because yeah. people only post when there's something good going on and everything right. is positive and going mm -hmm. well in their life and you know it's it's a really funny way of saying you know well what happened right you know what about the bad stuff what about the real stuff um you know we want to know what's going on because we've invested so much of ourselves in yeah. the relationship and i guess that's the part to keep in mind is like how much we're investing and then while you're investing and remembering that you know okay they you know people and actually that's that's maybe another point people spend so much time trying to find the perfect Instagram photo, right? Oh, this is going to be perfect for Instagram because it's going to make us look so good or make me look so good. And they say that's like Insta worthy or it's a, you know, whatever. There's lots mm -hmm. of more Insta grabbable. I don't know. There's all these types of ways of talking about it where people are just 
And I'm noticing that people, are, it's affecting their lives because they're so focused when they're somewhere of capturing that perfect picture or video to post to their social media that it takes away from them interacting and enjoying the actual experience. And people almost care more. Uh, we are social creatures, so it makes sense to an extent, but we have to be aware of this. They almost care more that other people think their life is good and enjoyable more than enjoying their life right. themselves. There's actually a really great picture that displays this really well. Maybe we can find it and post it on your on your Spot Instagram later. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, it's a picture of a bunch of young kids, and they all have their phones out taking a picture. It seems as though they're taking a picture of a celebrity or someone walking by. There's a, there's a railing, and there's a bunch of people with their phones. And then there's an older woman who is just has her head rested on the railing, and she's just looking. And I love that picture yeah, because it that, reminds yeah. us sometimes, you know, we don't even see what's going on in mm-hmm. front of our faces. We're not even really experiencing mm-hmm. our life. We're experiencing our life through the the lens of our phones mm-hmm. and our cameras and our Snapchats or whatever it right. is. And it, and it honestly takes a conscious, exceptional amount of effort to be able to move past that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just came back from Hawaii a few weeks ago with my family and there were several times throughout the trip where I consciously had to remind myself to be in the moment, to be present, to be with my kids, mm-hmm. to take in the view, the beauty, right? Yeah. And It was such an interesting thing because on the flight back home, I looked at my pictures and I was a little disappointed. I didn't have as many pictures (laughs) or videos as I would have liked. But really the memories that I stored inside of me and the fact that I really was able to take it in with my own eyes was more worthwhile to me than the pictures. And so you see a lot of people people they snapchat their lives or they're Mm -hmm. instagramming their lives and they really don't get to even see things with their own Mm -hmm. actual physical eyes exactly and i think you know it's not you know technology can enhance our experiences but in this case like you're saying it takes away rather than being present rather than enjoying it again i think louis ck is one of the funniest stand-up comedians but he was talking about how he went to like his daughter's school performance or ballet performance something and every parent was just sitting there with either an ipad or a phone videotaping it and like they weren't even watching their kids they were watching it through the screen and he was like your kid is there like you know you're not even watching your own child you're watching it through a screen to then maybe later on watch it through a screen also you can post it on you know social media and have people look at it but you're not even seeing your own kids performance and a lot of parents are doing that um they're not interacting with their kids they're trying to videotape it all the time and of course it's not black or white i think you absolutely want to have pictures and videos of your kids you should do that but being aware of how much it's taking away from your experience and like you said on your vacation maybe it's good that you're spending more time with them rather than focusing on getting the perfect photo op or taking all the pictures and videos and uploading them and doing all that the experience itself is is what we need to be focusing on rather than the the images and the videos yeah and and i think back in the day there was just camera you would take a picture Mm -hmm. and you couldn't even look at the picture Mm -hmm. and then it became you know these digital cameras where you can actually see the picture you took and then now it's everybody does everything with their phones Mm -hmm. or ipads and then it's so easily accessible and linked to social media that you can just quickly upload it or quickly post it and so it's just it's shifted you know back in the day people would take a lot of pictures and videotape but now because of the social media component there it's it's gone in a different direction i think Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think that is something to be aware of so making sure we're living our lives for us and not social media and people are so obsessed with their social media presence and status. And I've worked with teens and they say, you know, it's a type of social currency. You know, if you did something, but you don't have it on social media, it didn't happen. 
And if you did something cool, you need people to know about it. If you went somewhere cool, you got to make sure people know because that's going to affect your status. And then competing over likes and followers and all of this stuff, it's becoming this new type of popularity contest like on steroids, basically. And, and unfortunately, it's overtaking a lot of people's experiences. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, in that study with the teens, their brains showed a response similar to drugs when they saw a picture of themselves with a lot of likes showing that it was just the, you know that's of course gonna like an addiction you're gonna want to do that again and again and i know people um that you can see they use it as a drug they they're feeling down they take a picture of themselves and they put all the filters and whatever else they can and they put it on social media and they just sit there and wait to see the likes mm -hmm. pile up and each one is kind of like this little boost maybe a little dopamine release of a drug but then of course you go back down to whatever it is that you're feeling and experiencing and especially what you think about yourself it doesn't fill in any hole about your self-worth and self-esteem that you have when you get a bunch of likes from people so we're seeing how social media it definitely to me is this new type of drug and like any drug of course it can be very dangerous and people get addicted to it and rather than looking at what the actual problem is they try to momentarily get a relief or release from these types of of, of social media outlets you know we're going to take another commercial break um we're still talking about social media and screen time and especially i want to talk about how I think social media is making people more unhappy in their relationships because of the comparison issue. And I want to talk about that a bit after the break. Again, my guest today, Dr. Jennifer Galvin. If you want to join us, 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. back my guest today dr jennifer galvin we're talking about screen time and social media and before the break we we're talking about how when we compare ourselves to others on social media this can lead to if you're depressed to feel worse and even if you're not to start feeling depressed because you're comparing yourself to these um, digitally enhanced and filters and people that maybe aren't the typical person and you're comparing yourself to them of course you're not going to feel good and that's something I think is very important is also I'm seeing the effect it's having on relationships because here we are when you're with someone, um, the more you get to know them, of course you see the good of them, but that we're really showing it to each other from the beginning. But really the more you get to know someone, you see some of their bad sides, you know, the cracks, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then when you have that person as a full person next to you and you compare them to someone's Instagram profile and Instagram, you know, feed, you're going to have a very different feeling. You're like, oh, look, you know, my husband, my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend has these things that aren't so great, but this person just seems perfect. And there already is this temptation to stray at times. But I think social media is making that even worse, coupled by how accessible it is now with um, apps like Tinder and other dating apps where people can find just a bunch of people available to them, it's having a negative impact on how, how people, how committed they feel to their partner and how satisfied and happy they feel with their partner when they think there's all these available, more attractive people out there. Yeah, again, it's not an accurate representation of mm -hmm. the person necessarily or even real life. And as you mentioned, it only shows a portion or an aspect of someone's life 
Um, it's literally a snapshot of a person in that moment of their mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we take that and try to apply it to real daily full life, it doesn't work and it's an illusion. And we are often, you know, people are often left disappointed with what is in front of them or things that are just real in life mm -hmm. because, you know, they don't really understand that this is not how this person looks when they wake up in the morning or this is not you know, how the person looks in real life. Instead, they're painted or colored or photoshopped or sprayed or whatever it is. And so it definitely can create conflict in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something to keep in mind, you know, and we know that when people look at, for example, pictures of certain people, like very attractive people, and they look at their partner, they can even feel less attracted um, to that person, to their partner. Because again, yeah, it's unrealistic and uh, you know, you're looking at people who are maybe at the extremes of fitness or beauty or whatever it might be, and it's something unrealistic to, to look at that. But then even people can look at their coworker on their Instagram profile is going to look or page is going to look a lot different than a real person. As, mm -hmm. as you said, it's there in their best moments with, you know, Perfect filters lighting. and per exactly all the things that they do to it. And of course, none of the problems you also have in a relationship. When you just look at a profile, it's a very nice ah, this is very safe. There's no issues. Oh, I have these fights with my wife or my husband or boyfriend or girlfriend. And with this person, everything just seems so easy. And the temptation can seem, you know, pretty strong when, when you have that. So it's something to keep in mind for yourself. People might think, well, what's the harm in looking at some pictures? I'm not, let's say, cheating by looking at pictures. But you do want to think about the effect it's having on you when you look at some pictures or if you look at them all the time. Yeah, it can be used as an escape Absolutely, technique yeah. also, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to, I'm in a fight with my partner. I'm just going to go look at Facebook or I'm going to look at Instagram or I'm going to look at someone that's attractive and, you know, not think about my partner, not think about the fight. And so, you know, a lot of things can be avoided as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Rather than, you know, sitting with the feelings of it and then coming back and working through it, we just might escape and imagine what if I was with this person or that. And there's some room for fantasy and, uh, you know, those things aren't all bad, but it's how much we feed to that, that I think is, is a problem. And that's something that we're seeing. People are just const constantly feeding themselves these images of other people and other things. And we're talking about other people, of course, it makes them feel bad about themselves too, and your own self-esteem, self-worth, and how you see yourself when you, you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. Now we talked before about addiction and how we might be able to talk about screen time or, or social media use as an addiction. And I know you have done some, you know, looking into that and what it might be. What can you tell us about looking um, at an addiction type of, uh, looking at social media as an addiction? What are maybe some signs of that, that kind of a thing? Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely some indicators to be aware of. Um, you know, if you're starting to feel bad about yourself low self-esteem, if you're comparing yourself negatively to other people, um, if you become obsessive about things and you're obsessively thinking about something, if you are compulsively checking your um, Instagram or Facebook, if you're not able to concentrate the way you used to, if, you know, a huge one actually is difficulty um, with sleep because mm -hmm. a lot of people wake up in the middle of the night and they check their phone mm -hmm. and it can in really interrupt your sleeping patterns and cause an irregular disordered sleep pattern. Um, right. Not just probably from the distraction of it, but also the light of the phone. 
the light of the phone. Yeah, I mean, it it stimulates your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it is the content, you know, whatever it is you see might distract you, keep you up at night. Um, If you're feeling, you know, stressed out when you're on social media or, you know, during or after being on social media, if you're really tired, if you feel this need to have to post everything or, or share everything that you're doing online. Um, you know, if you have this fear of missing out, I mean, the list goes on and I think most of us are fairly familiar with some Mm -hmm. of these indicators, but it's important to not only recognize these things in ourselves, but also in our kids and teenagers, adolescents, because, you know, sometimes we're all disconnected and we don't even notice what's going on around us. Yeah. And I think when you talk about that, noticing it in your, your kids, especially because something that's happening and I, I was hearing this, it was like Ted NPR hour on screen time. And it was comparing, for example, Mr. Rogers neighborhood when we were a kid and comparing it to some recent movie. It was like, a I don't know what it was, but it was like with the Mr. Rogers, he was sitting there talking with someone who was very calm and there wasn't a lot going on. But in the more recent cartoon, it was constant loud noises, stimulation, colors, flashes, and all this stuff that was happening. And this is one of the reasons we're seeing that children exposed to more screen time and this type of um, stimulation are having more attentional issues. Mm-hmm. They're not able to sustain their attention. But also a thing I think is worth looking at is it can be addicting, just like bad food can be addicting. You know, if you start giving your kid junk food from a very young age, they're going to crave it and they won't want to eat an apple or eat something healthy. Yeah. They're going to only want to eat the bad stuff. And when you give your child that kind of stimulation and they're looking at a screen and, you know, you can go to the Grove or you can go to, you know, any mall and you just see kids in strollers and they're all holding a screen in front of their face. And when you keep giving them that type of stimulation, when you then take it away, you do have that reaction to a drug where they, they can't tolerate not having it. And they like get any, angry. They throw exactly. fits, yeah, tantrums. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the parents say, oh, I can't take away their phone. I, I, I have no choice now. Well, and it's almost, also easier for the parents. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is like when you introduce, just like a drug. I mean, look, if you don't smoke, you you have some an inhale a cigarette, you're not going to feel very good. But if you start smoking that what it really is like a poison over and over and over again, then you can't live without it. But it's once you introduce it that you can't live without it. So you have to think really carefully about how much you're exposing your kids to screens from a very young age, because once you do, then trying to take it away is much harder than never introducing it in the first place. Isn't it amazing how kids with at such a young age can use iPhones and iPads? I mean, Mm -hmm. kids at like two years old know how to open the screen you know, move it back and forth, yeah. open apps, you know, change. I mean, it's it's really an amazing thing to watch. And although, again, it may be positive in some ways, mm-hmm. um, it can be detrimental in other ways. And in another piece to that is that the control kids have feel c- in control of changing the games and changing the apps and changing the videos mm-hmm. and and um, have difficulty even concentrating on one video at a time or one YouTube, you know, show at a time. It's like constantly changing, 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 more stimulation, more need to change. Right. And, um, you know, they can't even concentrate on that. And, you know, again, I'm not a parent. You are. You're the mother of three lovely little girls. And being a parent is very difficult to, to really give them the time they need. But you mentioned something about it being easier. And I think I see a lot of parents. They think, okay, I can just 
plop my kid in front of a screen, whether it's a TV, an iPad or something, and I can go do my, you know, chores in the house or do whatever I want to do for a few hours. And they feel like my kid is quote unquote entertained or taken care of. Or even learning. Yeah. And maybe sometimes they're learning, although it depends on how and what we can maybe talk about that. But it does take a lot more work not to do that. So I get that it's not easy, but it's something we have to think about what's the cost you're paying. Your kid is occupied, but you're not occupying your kids is not your job as a parent. Yeah. You know, it's much more than that. So I'm sure even yourself with, with your three girls and being a professional and, and trying to balance that, it, it can be hard, but I'm, you know, so I'm sure you you try to figure out how to balance that yeah, I mean, yourself. I, I do my best to be present with my kids, but you know, I, I also work and I have patients and I have emails and all of that. And I do catch myself with my phone in my hand and in the playroom supposedly playing with the kids and then I have to remind myself to put it down you know kids can actually be really really good reminders for us if we pay attention to them like my little girls will pick something up and put it on their ear and pretend like they're on the phone and that's a a big eye-opening thing for me where I'm like oh you know put your phone down clearly you know I'm on my phone and that's why they're doing that or you know it's it's difficult to balance it because some you know we use it for work we use it for socializing with friends we use it for so many things and it's really the key here is to find balance it's not Mm -hmm. about going from one extreme to another but being more conscious I think is a huge huge piece in this whole um, topic being conscious of how much we are actually using it how much are we on it what are we getting from it what are our needs from it Mm -hmm. and you know just finding a balance and being able to connect to people one-on-one connect to our kids and then making time to use your phone also mm-hmm. and yeah. check your social media also. But, you know, it's just so, um, consuming. It's, it's so consuming mm-hmm. and it's so involved in all parts of our lives mm-hmm. at all times and so accessible that it's just becoming an, an issue because of that. Yeah. And you, know, you talked about the, the learning with kids and again, so it's not all black or white that it's, it's bad, you know, type of thing. Um, but even we have to think about how the kids are learning, you know, there's almost this focus that, okay, my kid at six months is going to start learning words and letters and that's good, but there's effects of putting them in front of a screen and having them looking that we want to be aware of. And not all screen time is the same. You know, I see some parents, they sit with their kid and they play a game together using their the iPad or if they're FaceTiming their grandparents. So I, you know, I don't want to say that all screen time is the same, but when it's more passive, you just have your kid looking at something, not engaged with anyone, not stimulated in any way. That's much worse than when you're somehow engaging them. So if you sit with your kid and say, let's look at these shapes together and let's talk about it. That's very different. And we want to think of that, that not all screen time is created equal. You know, we have to be aware of that also. Right. Yeah. Um, And, you know, when you start noticing that there's problems coming up or some distress occurring, whether it's in your child or in yourself, there are things that you can do to change the situation. So, you know, it may be similar to like a drug detox in a way where, you know, it's difficult in the beginning and then eventually you adjust. But it's important to reach out offline sometimes, you Mm -hmm. know, make the connections with family and friends face-to-face, put down your phone. You know, I've been places where people literally have a basket at the front of the <laughs> front door of their house and everyone's required to put their phones in there before they walk in. Um, you know, just doing things face-to-face and expanding your in-person social circles to include people that have similar interests to you. And, you know, having those encounters can help create that yeah. balance. Um, you know, some other things you can do is, you know, 
going to the extreme, erasing those apps for a month. You know, you've seen people take these breaks from social media where they take time away from the internet as a whole, or they take time away from social media platforms. Um, they uninstall the apps or, you know, they, um, they do things to, to kind of take a little break away from those. And it helps kind of bring you back and helps you find a balance in your life. Yeah. And also helps you realize like, you know, again, we always want to pay attention to how we feel. How do you feel when you don't have them, which would be maybe eye opening. Whoa, I, I haven't had it for a few hours and I'm going crazy or, you know, doing all this and feeling these things. Um, but then giving yourself that space and that little break, you know, I, you've, I've been places where my phone doesn't work, you know, you don't get service and usually initially you might get frustrated, but sometimes it's kind of nice yes. to not have your phone working. We, yeah. That disconnection can be good and we, we need that. We need to disconnect from the technology and even from other people sometimes and be, you know, with ourselves. We got to take our last commercial break and we'll just have some closing thoughts about uh, screen time and social media with my guest clinical psychologist, Dr. Jennifer Galvin. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadir Halakwi. I'm here with my guest, Dr. Jennifer Galvin. And we had some people asking for her name, Dr. Jennifer Farnoosh Galvin. Maybe I'm saying it um, too quickly, but she can introduce herself. Yeah, I, like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm very happy to be here today. Uh, my name is Dr. Jennifer Farnoosh Galvin. I am a clinical psychologist, and I had the pleasure of going to grad school with Farid. And, um, you know, I have a private practice in Encino and really enjoy having the opportunity to come and talk about some of these important topics on the radio. And hopefully um, some of you find it helpful. I think they're, you know, what we talked about today is a lot of um, things that probably we all know somewhere or have heard somewhere, but it's good to be reminded of. And mm -hmm. it's good, like I mentioned, to be conscious of our role in this topic and um, how it affects our life and how it impacts our life and our relationships with people. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully everyone, all the listeners got something out of it. I hope today. so. Yeah. And I, th I think they did. I hope they did. And, you know, we can maybe recap a bit of what we talked about and have some closing remarks um, about, you know, screen time, phones and social media. You know, we started off saying, I think it's important to reiterate that it's not just a bad thing. Because I think it's very easy to just like social media is bad and it's the evil and if you do it, you're bad. And that's not obviously true and that's being a little bit too black and white about the issue because there's a lot of, of good in it too. Yeah, you definitely want to chime in, I can tell. Yeah, well, one of the things I think we skipped over that we wanted to mention in regards to the positive impacts it has is how it can be utilized professionally. Sure. Um, and, you know, a lot of employers are actually use, using social media as an informal way to um, have background checks or to get to you know, get an idea of people, colleges, employers, you know, a lot of people use this as a platform yeah. professionally. And so, you know, Farid and I both have professional Instagram um, pages and mm -hmm. Facebook and, and it can help in a lot of ways, um, 
you know, networking sure. and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, the other positive aspect, although what you mentioned reminded me of something too. You said like employers, they might do background type of checks and that's just a reminder to everyone be aware of what you post on yes. social media. You you can see stories of people losing their jobs or not getting hired for jobs. Or even I think, I think it was at Harvard that some people lost their admissions based on some things yes. they had on their social media. So remember when you're putting it out there, it's public now. And, you know, there could be effects to that and you have to be aware of that. And even if you delete it, you know, I mean, it still stays somewhere and it can be accessed. And so it's important to consider who in the future might be able to see it or access it. Um and it's right. very important to think about what you post before you post it. Yeah, exactly. Remember what you're you're doing uh, there. But, you know, using our phones, they can be these tools, but we can become slave to those tools. And that's what we have to be aware of. So make sure you're using your phone and you're controlling your phone. Your phone is not controlling you. Or when you are going through your life, it shouldn't be restricting you. It should be adding. So if you're doing something and it's like, ah, oh, my phone again, or I have to check it, or I can't do something because of my phone. You have to be aware of, okay, well, what's, what's the purpose of having my phone? It's actually hurting my life than helping me or helping my relationships. Um, and that's something, you know, to, to just think about for yourself individually. Is it adding to my, my experience or taking away? Yeah. How are you feeling after, during, while using your phone or on mm -hmm. social media. Are you feeling worse? Are you feeling better? Are you feeling connected? Are you feeling disconnected? I mean, there's so many questions you can ask yourself and be in tune with yourself so that mm -hmm. you can see what's going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. Another big thing we talked about in relation to social media is being aware of how it's causing you to compare yourself to others. And um, the comparison, there's a part of our brain, I remember in uh, Dr. Alex Korb's book, The Upward Spiral, he talks about you know, there's basically a comparison part in our brain that compares. And the more you activate that, the more easily it gets activated. So if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, then you're more easily going to do that. And when we compare ourselves to others, although you might think, well, so as I can compare myself to people that are worse than me or doing worse than I am doing, it still leads to us feeling worse overall. So we don't want to focus on other people. You can be inspired by other people. You can be motivated by other people. But if you're comparing yourself to others, you are almost definitely playing a game that's going to just hurt you more and more. Your job is not to compare yourself to others, to be better than anyone else. All we want to do is to be the best version of ourselves that we can become. And as difficult as it is, you know, take this all just as what it is, mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of it is not real. It, it can be an illusion. I mean, how many followers you have, um, how many likes you get, yeah. how many comments you, there, there are on there. They're all, you know, they can be an inaccurate representation of what's actually going on. People can buy followers, um, you know, people... They, they have followers they don't even know. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's so many layers to this topic. Mm -hmm. and, and it's important, you know, for people to realize that this may or may not be real. Yeah. Or even more is not real than it's real. And that's another thing. I think people, even with like Facebook, I feel like, you know, someone thinks, oh, I have so many friends on Facebook. Mm -hmm. That means I have a good social network. And that was the name of the movie about uh 
Facebook. But, you know, I have such a strong social network because I have 1,300 friends. But then the real question is, how many of those friends could you count on if you had a flat tire and needed something? And that's how they measure your social network or your real, the strength of your social network is how many people can you actually rely on? And that's what you want to look at. So we can get so obsessed with these superficial and artificial uh, types of friendships or connections that we lose sight that what actually matters and what research on happiness tells us is that what's going to make you happy long term is the quality of the relationships of your life. And again, it's quality, not quantity. Yes. And you want to keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, we friend all these people. We we friend them, but we're not even friends. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I know there's people on my own Facebook page. You don't even know who I they are. I don't remember where I met them. I maybe met them once and you added each other. Yeah. And they're still, I'm still getting updates on, on their life. So this idea, and I do actually... You know, you can have a lot of friends on Facebook, and I, th- I actually do, but I realize it doesn't, that doesn't mean much to me. It actually doesn't. The people I can mm-hmm. actually count on, those are the ones that matter. But we're, we're creating much more of a f- superficial and artificial type of connecting with people, and we have to be aware of, of the consequences that that has. And don't lose sight of the importance and the significance of the people that care about you and that you care about that means something to you and to invest time there. Yes. People invest time. Real time, face yeah. to face. Real time, face to face, but also real people, the ones that are in your life, yeah. invest in those relationships rather than people can spend so much time caring about what someone who doesn't know them, who they have no relationship with, no connection with, what they're going to think of them. And they're investing time there rather than the person who's sitting right next to The real to them. thing that's in exactly. their life. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned something also before, I think it was one of the first segments about this virtual world. And I think that's one of the dangers we're seeing with what's happening. Again, it's great that it's creating all these different avenues of connections and ways that people can experience things. But unfortunately, what we're opening up is this other world that people can get lost in where they are unhappy with themselves, unhappy with who they are, what's going on in their lives. And more and more, rather than just daydreaming, they're living in this virtual world and using that as an escape. And that's a really scary and dangerous thing. Yeah. Or they're recreating their real life situations in these cyber worlds. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I read something the other day about how this little boy who was being abused at home created a whole Sims world Mm -hmm. where the same thing was going on. There was somebody being the aggressor and somebody, you know, hurting somebody else and beating them up. And, you know, so, I mean, again, like I mentioned before, there's so many layers to this, but the problem with the whole being connected to the cyber world is that it creates a distance. I mean, all of this creates a distance between you and the actual person. And it's a degree of separation and a distance that doesn't allow for true intimacy, true attachment, true connection, true reflection to occur. And without that, I mean, think about what is what relationship is that if there's Mm -hmm. no real intimacy, there's no real connection. And what when people are not playing in these games or in the cyber world consumed, they're completely unhappy and disappointed with their real life. Mm-hmm. So they'll go home and participate again in these and get pulled into these worlds that are not real. And so. And then that acts as a drug which makes them feel good momentarily, but then they don't face what's actually not going right in their own life. And then the next day, Mm -hmm. the cycle starts all over again. Yeah, there's no repair for what's actually going on. There's no effort towards that because there's an escape that's so easily available to them. Mm -hmm. So if you were to focus that half of the time that's spent on the, you know, creating these cyber worlds on your real life, you know, and you're Mm -hmm. fixing whatever's bothering you in your real life, then it would help 
yeah alleviate a lot of those symptoms that that's actually something when i you know as virtual reality it's starting to become more popular again i actually have this concern that people are going to just get sucked they're, you know you're going to have people that are literally just going to keep those those virtual reality goggles on 24 hours a day mm -hmm. and not even leave their room and be like, this is better than my life. And why would they want to leave? And I think it actually could be very dangerous and you, a very extreme form of uh, video game or internet addiction, well, I think, is, is upon us. This is happening because I see kids who don't go to school. They find excuses not to go to school mm -hmm. um, just so they can stay home and participate in this virtual life they've created. They sit and play games all day or, you know, they're on... Facebook and Instagram and whatever it is and they don't participate in things that you have to I mean they don't people don't go to work they don't go to school they don't talk to their friends they mm -hmm. don't I mean it's it's really taking over yeah and again so the purpose or we'd hope the goal of things like social media and phones and these apps would be to create connection but we have to be aware of the ways that it's creating disconnection for ourselves and the people around us our loved ones especially your kids and how much it's taking away from their lives because you know to me it, it could be such a beautiful thing there's people in los angeles they have family members in iran that they haven't seen for years mm -hmm. they can go on viber or through facetime and do a face-to-face -face conversation with them and that's a beautiful thing that's wonderful yeah. but at the same time that same type of technology can make people get disconnected to the person they're living in the same home with or even themselves and that's what we really want to be aware of and mindful of and for each person to think for themselves how much are the is social media and my phone and these devices how much is it making me more connected to myself and the people around me and how much is it actually contributing to disconnection bet between me and myself and the people that i love and the ones that are around me yeah so i think it all boils back down to finding a balance right mm -hmm. you know finding something that works for you some limited amount of time that you're on your phone or a space where you're away from the screens and you're away from the phone mm -hmm. um a designated time and place i mean whatever would work for you and your family but it's important to find the balance somehow and for kids to help them find the balance because they don't know um, setting firm boundaries, helping yeah. them understand, uh, forcing them in a way to have time alone, time to be bored, mm -hmm. time to utilize their imagination and be creative. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these are things you can add to your life instead of taking things away from your life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, adding those things along with, you know, you can use your phone, you can use your iPad, you can go on social media, but also making time for yourself, for your kids, for connection. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the big thing here. Exactly. So to me that, you know, and what you mentioned with the kids, yeah, you know, setting those limits, I think sometimes as a parent, we think, oh, my kid likes it. They're having fun. Why would I want to take away something they like? But we as the adult, as the parent, you have to take that responsibility that you understand just like your kid might want to eat some foods that aren't good for them. The kid wants to go run and play in the street. You have to protect them from mm -hmm. that. And we have to protect themselves from this this thing that can be very dangerous when they get hooked on this need for their phones and need for this constant stimulation, the effects it's going to have on them with their attention, with their ability to have relationships, with the way they connect with themselves and others can be very detrimental. And it's up to us to set those limits to protect them. And then, of course, to think about that for ourselves, too, and to set those limits as well. All right, we've got, got to the end of today's show. Um, I want to give everyone Dr. Jennifer Galvin's information again because we got many calls for that. Her office is in the Encino area. She is a clinical psychologist who works with children, adolescents, and adults. 
And the phone number for her office is 818-538-5236. So that's for Dr. Jennifer Galvin, who I'm sure I'll have on sometime again soon to talk about another topic. Dr. Galvin, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the next time. Yes, we'll have you back very soon. Sorry to the callers that wanted to call about other issues today. We focus just on social media. I'll be back on again Monday night at 8 p.m. and next Wednesday at 12, where you can call in with those questions. And again, the book of the week for this week is The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm, which I'll discuss on Monday night's show. Another big thanks to Dr. Jennifer Galvin, to Rahman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.